Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Beyond Bound podcast. I'm Ben Phillips, and I'm back with another student interview this week, which I'm pretty excited about. This week, we'll be talking to Eve Ana Ontiveros. I got to know her at some of our Spark events, the one in Texas, and she came back for Colorado. So I guess she enjoyed her time. Um, but real quick, before we get into the interview, um, I just want to let you guys know about two things going on with Unbound. First of all, we just launched um, Unbound Base Camp. It's a new life skills intensive um, event that's going to be held on January 21st through the 25th. It's super cool. You should check it out and it's at a good price. So you can go to beunbound.us slash Basecamp to learn more about that event. The second thing is just like a few months ago, we're currently enrolling more students into the Ascend program. So if you know some students, if you have family or friends who seem like a good fit for the program, you guys know better than anyone who's right for this community. So if you go to beunbound.us slash refer, there are some special offers there where you can actually get free registration to an event of your choice and free access to our Navigate course if a student that you refer enrolls with us. So got that out of the way. So Eve, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing really well. <laughs> right on. So I think, first of all, I I would just, I'm curious to know, like, how did you find Unbound? Actually, Unbound, which at the time it was College Plus, found me because I wasn't really truly looking for anything like that. I grew up homeschooled. So when I graduated, I used to joke with my <clears throat> my homeschool friends that we would try to go to college that wasn't um, homeschool 2.0. Mm -hmm. We really didn't want to do the co-op life again, the small Christian kind of thing again. I don't know what, if, what it was, but I ended up going to, um, a public university for one year and I, um, did not enjoy it for a myriad of reasons. But once I called admissions and talked to somebody, it just, it made so much sense. And it was like on being on the cusp of something new because at the time online school was just not taken very seriously. And I, I thought, Hey, if I can get all of my pros done and like have minimal cons as compared to other schools, then I'll do it. I don't care what it looks like, but I'll do it. So it was a suggestion that I found out about college plus. <laughs> That's awesome. And I guess like for you, was it mostly a time thing? Was it a price thing? The deciding factor in choosing mm -hmm. college plus for me was my opportunities. And I still have my, um, my little columns that I made, I drew them on the back of a notebook. Um, and I, I put like school choice here, school choice here, and then, and then college plus. And it was weird. All the check marks for college plus fit. And a lot of my, uh, the things that I used to evaluate it was the stuff that I wanted to learn and like how I was able to do that or ways that I could align myself to trying those things. And almost none of the colleges or areas that I wanted to transfer to would accept that or even allow for that besides having to do that as a master's degree. And I was definitely still undergrad and wanted to do, to do those things in undergrad. So. Yeah. I was yeah. actually in a pretty similar boat. I, I think I may have mentioned this on one of our other podcasts, but my original plan was to go to law school. And so, and I almost didn't care what my undergrad was. I just knew I needed to get it out of the way. And so when I found out about which at same for me at the time it was college plus now it's unbound, but it was, um, you know, when I found it, I, I could basically go really fast and I could have all this flexibility. That's what kind of got me really interested in it. Um, but I guess since then, 
I get, have your plans changed at all? How have, <laughs> I see you smiling and like, how has your college experience been? It's been this never ending journey of advancement and momentum. Actually, one of the words that I like to use <clears throat> when I think of my life and what I, what I go for is forward momentum. And I don't know if that's just because of later with um, <clears throat> the career that I ended up choosing. And we just talk in terms of like, forward and backwards. And I, you know what I mean? Like we, we use such directional terms in our language, but forward momentum for me has always been something that was under the surface and, uh, and just kind of unearthed through unbound and college plus, I guess on paper, it would look like this. So I originally went to Arizona state university for, for music, music education. Um, the first time I got in there, I did not win the audition or whatever it's called, like get accepted. So I had to like go to school anyway. And like, work on a bunch of other courses, um, unrelated to my major and then audition again. And that's when I got into music school, a couple of weeks into music school, just realized, um, a lot of the stuff I want to do isn't going to happen. And well, this is how I came. I, I wanted to learn. That was still part of my forward momentum is I just want to learn. I just want to learn. Like, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm never going to want, not want to learn. Um, so then I went to college plus and it was slow going for a while, but I, I knew that I could do music through it. So then I did as much gen eds as I could. I mean, as slow as I could, but you know, that's because I was at my church and volunteering significantly. We're talking 14 to 16 hours a week because we had a very wow. large music program at our church. And I went, that's how I'm going to learn everything that I want to learn that college couldn't give me those inroads for is at church. They have the choir, they have the orchestra, they have the keyboards, they have conducting, they have composing, they have it all. I'm going to try to be part of this. And so I just basically threw myself in that and was like, I'll do whatever. But um, <clears throat> since I had unbounding amounts of time, I was always involved in a lot of projects. A couple years into that, did a couple internships with that church, um, changed my idea, took the leadership courses, was like, maybe I should major in leadership because this is stuff is really interesting to me. Mm -hmm. After leadership created my own job, changed departments, went into production. So I did audio lights, video. I was a producer in a very large worship service. Um, we did four of them at the time, I think. And then we did a big Christmas production each year. And I finished off there as technical producer for the Christmas show. And then <laughs> decided, wow, I've gone on hold so many times with Unbound and gotten like no credits, like what's wrong? Um, work is so infinitely interesting. Leadership is so interesting. Maybe I should change yet again and transfer to Liberty University. So that with the help of my coach, that's exactly what happened. So I changed my major about three times and I started in music and I ended up in aviation. So it's been, it's been kind of a wild ride. Yeah, <laughs> that is wild. And it's funny yeah. because I think for any unbound student listening to this, as crazy as that may sound, it's also weirdly typical when like any, when I'm talking to students, it's like, Oh, like, what have you been doing the last few years? And they're like, Oh, well, I started here. And then I went over here and did you do? And I've like basically had like eight jobs, you know, it's like all this right. crazy stuff. And like, <laughs> Hey, that's part of the reason why I think it's so cool to be a part of this community because there's so many people like that. But, um, and you just mentioned it, which is that you went into aviation and we'll get more into that later, but you were just recently got your commercial rating, which is super cool. Um, but I'm, I'm curious to hear a little bit more about the music side of things. So was that something that you started in like childhood? Did you play a certain instrument? Like what was your thing? 
My instrument was piano. And as early as I can remember, I was always very, very creative. I memorized um, Pooh's Grand Adventure, that <laughs> that movie. Yeah. I memorized the dialogue and I would just recite it to myself in the backseat. My mom actually has a recording of me reciting the first probably 15 minutes of the movie because I watched it over and over and over. I watched 101 Dalmatians probably 101 times. And just something about I was able to kind of just be a storyteller. I always wrote stories. I drew pictures. I would write the first letter of each sentence because I didn't know how to spell complete sentences. And that, I mean, I was always making up stories. And then one day my dad heard me playing on like a Fisher Price toy piano. He heard me playing by ear and it has eight notes and was like, we have to put this kid in piano. So I didn't actually start lessons until second grade and took it real seriously once I was homeschooled in fourth grade because I went to public school until fourth grade. And since I was home a lot, my parents realized she could focus a lot on music and she's homeschooled. So this kind of works out. And um, yeah, I mean, I was, it was so funny. My piano teacher kind of knew that I was really talented within, I don't know, 10 minutes of hearing me play. He just kind of knew. So it was very downloaded into me at a young age that I was supposed to go places with this talent. And the way that my piano teacher taught, he was super intentional and he was strict, but he was very intentional. He, if he had a reason for something, he would tell you the reason. And then he would teach it to you concepts and ways of memorizing and ways of looking at music and analyzing it that would make sense to an 11 year old. And then later it would expand to make sense to a 17 year old. And so he really kind of showed me how it sounds so dumb, but he kind of showed me how to be a pilot because when you're sitting at the piano, you have so many things to think about Um, intonation, just knowing the place where you are in your music expression. And um, it's just multifaceted. You're using all sides, all parts of your brain at that, at that moment. And it didn't hit me till later in aviation that when you're sitting in that airplane, it's, it's almost the same thing. And if it wasn't for music, I just don't think I would have, really grasped or become the pilot that I am now. But yes, it was, it was all, um, it all pretty much started with music for me. That's wild. It's funny. Mm-hmm. It actually, that actually reminds me of, um, there's a historian philosopher named James Burke. And one of the things that he said that stuck with me, um, since a few years ago when I heard it was he said that the solutions to the problems of the future are multidisciplinary. And I, so I'm always kind of trying to look for those connections, right? So it's like, how does music inform aviation? Those things seem like, you know, maybe the two least related things possible, right? One's, you know, both can be technical, but it's like they, they, you know, one's very creative. One is you flying a plane, like that's different. And um, I think something that I'm constantly fascinated by is just like, how are those ideas connected? And like, it's somewhat similarly, like I, um, I studied uh, a lot. I, I played mostly guitar growing up. And then I went to like photography and film and media and production, all this kind of stuff. And I still think that doing a few years of guitar as a kid has helped me a lot just in terms of like understanding rhythm and space and like different energies and intonations and things like that. And so I'm kind of fascinated by that. And then did music also inform your um, work in like media production? It very much did. I remember I, I played. In, in church for years, I played to the point where there was nothing, there was no other services or no other venues for me to play or be a part of bands to be a part of. Cause it, I kind of exhausted that. And I was actually a part of a worship internship at the time. And I was taking leadership yep. <laughs> and just the way that I had crafted my leadership DNA and understood, 
you know, what am I here to do? What's my favorite thing to do in leadership as a 21 year old who has absolutely no command or anybody to take control of or help other than just mentoring and coaching young keyboardists? Like what, what else can I do? And I realized what you draw them with is what you draw them to. And Jeff Myers talked about that. And I thought, the dynamics between the worship leaders, the band people, everybody backstage, um, before rehearsal, during rehearsal, the dynamics between us and the tech people in the booth is not the best dynamic. And I've seen mm-hmm. it playing out, played out and everybody is the elephant in the room that the preparation is always last minute or it's they can just adjust because they love to adjust. They like the flexibility. So let's go ahead and overwhelm them with unending amounts of flexibility and moments when they have to be flexible. And I thought that's probably just not the best way. And I don't know why. And the only way way to know why was to walk the 20 feet down to the booth and kind of get to know people, which was a little bit unheard of at the time was for a crossover, a bridge role. But I've always been somebody that wanted to step into that in between and take some skills that I had with me, bring them to an area that is similar or people just don't know the language yet, figuratively speaking, and then kind of teach them that language and show them the similarities between what I'm bringing or what area that I stepped out of. So in this case, I wanted to show tech people, like um, I call them tech people at the time later. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, they taught me. You and my grandma, right? Um, Right. You're a tech person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I, I, I had to teach them, you know, what you're talking about sounds a lot like this. And they were like, Oh really? You know, I've never had anybody explain it to me like that. And the, um, the things about production and tech is that yes, they are flexible. Yes. They love to learn, but you might have to paint a picture of what the other side looks like because there is, we are separated by physical barriers. They're in a booth and we're on stage. So just this, that, just that being the big unknown for me was really helpful. And one of the first things that I remember when I started interfacing and working and in, like, I literally volunteered my life away in that department and pretty much said goodbye to music. Um, but one of the first things I remember hearing people tell me was, you know, we don't actually have anybody who's ever been our producer or worked with us that knew music at wow. all, or even played on the band or, or had been steeped in our worship culture for more than, you know, a month or two. And I was wow. like, well, you're in for a treat because I've been here for four years and I know pretty much how everything works and I have solutions for you. And it's so great and very gracious of them to accept somebody who was pretty much 22 at the time, had no experience in production, but had all of these artifacts from the subject matter that they were working so tirelessly to support. And I was able to deliver actual alternatives and solutions that, you know, they had just been spinning the drain on. And it, it kind of took somebody to just activate and just step into that role who was me at the time and just say, Hey, like, we're not going to do counts. Like you cannot count by beats per, per minute. You can't do that. That's not going to work. None of you understand what a measure is. I'm not going to sit here and teach you a measure. I'm not going to sit here and teach you what six, eight is versus, you know, four, four, because it's not going to make sense. I can already tell that. I mean, I've been watching you guys long enough. We're going to be doing this differently. Um, so I, I was able to find ways to maybe count or subdivide or even just cue them. Like physically, I would just cue them over and over until eventually they were able to kind of get that feel. And then I was able to understand that there's a lot of crossovers from music that you don't want any enhancements to match the music, like to the key. Sometimes things need to be slightly left of center or slightly off, not so much with camera angles, but also with lighting design, like knowing when to hit something if it's like literally on the beat all the time, 
Sometimes that just goes right over people's heads. You have to give it that delay. And so being able to count that and be able to cue that and explain that in terms of like creating this bigger artistry and this bigger picture was something that had to be done by sitting in the booth and working with the same people week after week after week for about two years. And um, yeah, so that was a big learning curve for me, but I loved it because it was like people became paintbrushes and they became instruments and communication became the music. And we'd all just sit there and wear headsets and try to try to make sense of this and not make any mistakes. <laughs> so that's crazy. Yeah, I, it's actually I've done some work in production, nothing that involved. Mm-hmm. But then it actually it reminds me, too, of um, like aspects of teamwork in film, because you've basically got you know, anywhere from 10 to hundreds of people trying to create one creative work and trying to figure out how to get everybody doing the right things at the right time. It's, it's this kind of crazy endeavor. And it's kind of what, when you actually step out and maybe this is how you feel about production. This is how I feel about film. Anytime I see a film, you know, I'll have my opinions about it, whatever. But at the end of the day, it's like this film exists. That's like a miracle because there's like 300 people that had to like do their thing. And somehow this came out the other side and, um, and that's an accomplishment in itself. So we've covered, you know, we've talked about, um, music production leadership a little bit, by the way, if you guys are curious what she's talking about, uh, Eve is talking about the signature leadership courses taught by Dr. Jeff Myers. Um, you could go to beyondbound.us slash leadership to learn more about those courses. So that's a, thanks for the layup plug on that. Um, but I, now let's talk about aviation. So what, 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 what brought you there? What brought me there started about a few years into my music time over at my church. So I had, I had just taken the leadership courses. I was soaring, soaring through the air, ready to start applying some of the stuff I learned. And the, the groundwork was being set to do that. And that was in music. And I went on a mission trip and we flew in a small plane to Mexico. And I remember being absolutely captivated by the pilot and the way that he explained all of the safety procedures did all of the checks on the ground and just took this with such a serious air. And once we took off, of course, everybody likes flight, but it just hit me different. And I went, I had this sinking feeling because I immediately knew this is utterly fascinating. I forever want to know more and more and more about this. And I know that I want to do this eventually, but I don't know what that looks like. And I'm actually upset and frustrated that it exists now. And that I found out about it. (laughs) it's going to infect my brain. And it did, but I had to push it away and say, okay, first of all, that's not realistic. You are two feet away from your crucial music internship and you're ready to apply all of your stuff. This doesn't really fit in with where you're going or what's happening. So you should perhaps table this and, um, and table it. I did, but I think what the problem was is I, it's not a bad thing to table something and to put it away for later, but try to set yourself up for success when you do that. And sow better seeds of, I don't know, seeds that, that will flourish into when, when you use it later, you know, you have the materials that's been growing kind of in the dark and you're like, okay, mm-hmm. you know, this is strong enough. Cause I think by the time I, I untabled it or I, I unearthed it again, it, the dream of aviation was literally hanging by a thread and had been shriveling like because the whole time it was in my head in the back of my head while I was doing music and then later while I was doing production was like pilots are smart and you're not that smart and you're not that good at math so maybe you should just keep waiting and keep waiting and so I kept telling myself it's so interesting and and eventually I want to do it but 
it's so complicated. There's no way I could do that. That's, that's for really smart, intelligent people. I've never taken physics. There's no way, there's no way. And then the other part of me, the, the weird forward momentum part that always kind of knows where I'm going was like, you already know that you're never going to want to do this as a hobby. This would be, this would be a career choice. This is something that you would do and push all your chips in. And that scared me even more because I was in production and I was loving it. So it was always, it was, there was a lot of tension between that dream and that idea that just kind of sat away and almost wasted away. And I, I almost killed it. I mean, <laughs> it's crazy how that happens. And, um, but it's even crazier how it, how it was able to happen. And I think that's kind of more of a bigger testimony is after I made the choice to go all in and do the crazy thing is that the sense of freedom <laughs> that came with that decision was amazing. And the, the way to watch all the doors open because I decided to do something crazy was amazing. And I tried to tell as many people as I could during those crucial months to 180 their life as well. I was like, guys, I know all of you have ideas or maybe have the beginnings of an idea and don't be afraid to pivot and do something because I'm living it right now. And it's, it's like nothing I would have ever expected. So in those few moments, you know, when I transferred in to Liberty and started aviation, I just was I basically had a bullhorn and I was trying to tell people like, do something with your life that you're afraid of, like literally just do something you're afraid of and see what happens. Wow. <laughs> That's wild. That's wild. Yeah. So what, so you said that you, you saw him operating the plane that yeah. kind of ignited the dream. You tabled it so you could do your music internship. What brought mm -hmm. it back? Oh my, well, um, it was a slow rolling pretty much toward the last two months of my job in production. Every year we do a crazy music and Christmas production. It, it's all new material. We had been on our eighth year of it actually. And I grew up performing in it. And then I actually made it to technical producer and um, it was very stressful. So we were working like 60 hour weeks for, you know, months. <laughs> and, um, as much as we tried to make it more organized, it was, it was so highly creative and flexible that that's what made it great is that we were able to pull things together, but things changed a lot. And the stress was a level that I have not found in my life until about two months ago, preparing for my commercial check ride. But to that point, it was the most stress I've ever been. And I just spent a lot of days in a dark room, uh, with the lighting designer and uh, audio engineer and blocking numbers and tech rehearsals and just ne never ending like camera, trying to call our cameras, trying to get shot lists together. Like it was just, I was living there actually. And we would just walk out and it would be dark. We'd, we'd walk in, it would be morning and but it would be dark. So I was like, I never see the sunset. I never see the sun, but we live close to an airport. So sometimes planes would fly overhead and I would just be like, I can't get away from these airplanes. They're everywhere. They're literally everywhere. And my friend, she, um, she loved to go to the, to Phoenix sky Harbor with me and sit on the parking garage and just watch planes land. Cause when you're busy and when you're living on a ministry budget, you just have to find your own fun and find your own adventures. And we loved watching airplanes. We drive and go watch airplanes. We would try to find like location scouting for video shoots and stuff like that. And it would almost always be near some sort of airport because it's just something, I don't know, cosmopolitan or, or, you know, I don't know, just very like exciting and, and fresh and new about being near an airport or, or taking long exposure photography for the planes on final approach and watching that light streak through the sky. And so it was just kind of one of those hobby like inspirations is to be around airplanes. But when you're in an environment, that's just very, it's like, so there's so much going on. It's so exciting. There's lots of lights and stuff, but as a person, you're never around, you're never outside, you're never enjoying. And I would see airplanes and I'd be like, okay, like, why haven't I done this yet? So the last two months of that was the show. 
And um, about about two days after the final show, I had like this like crazy pain in my stomach and I ended up going to the ER (laughs) and I had no idea what was wrong with me. And I was really, really scared. And my mom was with me. And I just remember having this reality check of like, do you want to do this for another year? Cause it's going to be like this. Mm -hmm. It's going to, it's going to be 50 weekends of, of church with only two weekends off. And it's going to be this three month process of the, of the winter show. Like, do you, want to do that for another year. And since I was in excruciating pain, waiting for morphine, you just think a lot clearer when you're in pain and my brain, <laughs> right. My brain was screaming, no, like don't do this for another year. You're actually deep down, not that happy. You're just interested in and sidetracked about all the cool stuff that you're doing, but like, it's not really hitting a lot of the benchmarks for you. And I was like, Oh no, I'm having another midlife crisis. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Uh, but it's so weird how that impetus was being in pain and just realizing, no, wait a second. I've just evaluated my life in five seconds and I don't really like where this is going. So. Gotcha. Well, and I think when we were talking in, in at tech at the Texas apex event, you told me a crazy story about being on a missions trip. And I was, that's that, that's what I'm asking about is, could you tell that story? that was that one time, like that one mission trip. And then I tabled it, even though it was so amazing. And this event that I'm about to tell you was so amazing. It wasn't enough for me to like really do anything about it, but that cool event that, that it sowed some good seeds. There was coming back from the mission trip. We flew in the same plane and I watched everything twice. I watched everything again. I got to watch the ground run up again. I got to watch him talking to tower, got to watch the safety briefing and all of this stuff. But once we were um, airborne coming into Phoenix, we were crossing over um phoenix sky harbor so like one of the bigger airports in this area and i was sitting up front with the headset on and i had uh, even got a couple times to fly the plane like you know it's completely trimmed out like it's basically autopilot but i'm holding my hand on it like wow this is really cool and it was all fun and games the sun went down and then i noticed that tower or phoenix was starting to get a little bit more calling us a lot and i was like what's going on and they were saying, Hey, your transponder is not working. We're not seeing you. We really want you to ident. We really want you to ident, try to figure out what's going on because it's actually illegal to not have a working transponder in that area. So the pilot, after a while, trying a couple of things, just gave me the controls was like, nothing's going to happen. Just we're in a mountainous area. But if you, if you can see over the mountains, it means you're not going to fly into them. But if you see the mountain and nothing behind it, it means we're going to fly in the mountain. I'm like, what? I have no Makes training. Sense to what do you me. <laughs> And I've used that with some, with some of my friends sometimes flying around. I'm like, Hey, best way to figure out this is, you know, if you can see over the mountain. Um, but he disappeared, his head went under the dashboard and he was like whacking around and I could hear things and wires being moved. There's a little bit of an order. <laughs> That's comforting. Back on. I was like, we're going to go down You're like in the air. And he's <laughs> under there. Ding, ding, ding. That's wild. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was a little inspiring, but in that moment, it was weird. It was so weird. It, he was out of the picture literally. And I had my hands on the controls and I just looked straight forward and the sun was setting. It was so beautiful, purple mountains everywhere. And I just remember thinking I'm in control of not only where we go, which is really cool, but also safety. And it's all up to me. And this unending sense of responsibility was so addicting. And I looked behind me and there was some sleeping people in the back. And I was like, Hey, like I'm in charge of their lives right now. Mm -hmm. And I really like that feeling. And I really feel like I am worthy of that responsibility. 
Yeah. And, and like, how many people are like, how is this like a Cessna? Like how big of a plane are we talking about? It was um, a single engine hyper Saratoga. So I want to say it had about four seats in the back okay, and then two seats up front, including pilot. So it wasn't very big, um, but it was, it was enough to get the job done. And then the other crew, they flew in a Cessna. So. Got it. So, so you're talking about, there's probably around six people on the plane. Yeah. Including the pilot. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think so. Yeah. That's wild. That's wild. And so then since then you've got your commercial rating, I guess, mm-hmm. like a, how was that experience? And then B, like, what's the plan? Is there, are you, are you planning to be a commercial pilot? Kind of what's the idea? Going into aviation, it was really difficult, but there was so many transfers between production and everything that I had been doing was just, it was identical. So I just got to plug in new subject matter because the scaffolding was there of execution and learning was already there. So I just had to plug in new subject matter. It was very difficult. I have to say that the hardest thing I ever did in my life was get my private pilot's license. The very first one that you get is the hardest because everything is so new. You've never heard any of this stuff stuff before and you have to know it all and you have to know it well enough to take a written test, an oral exam, and also a practical test where you demonstrate all of it. So it's kind of this multifaceted way of being examined. And it was so hard. Like, I'm not going to lie. But since then, I've gotten my instrument rating, which was also difficult, just in a different, different way, more procedural. Mm-hmm. And then commercial was this year, multi-engine. And that was like, Hey, you know, you're graduating now tech, you know, air quotes around graduation. Graduating yeah. is like in the eyes of the FAA, you're going to be seen as a professional. So try to act more like a professional and less like a student. And then also we're going to throw another engine on the mix. And if it fails, what are you going to do? So it was, uh, every rating had its own special challenges and special things to gain gain from it. So where I found myself now is reeling. I'm completely reeling from all the stuff that I've done in two years because I started flight school in June of 2018. And so it's been about two years now. And there are so many firsts that first year. And then there was a lot of firsts in in instrument. And then there was firsts this year with the multi-engine. So I just kind of always feel like there's more to learn. Like, it's weird. It's like everywhere I go in aviation, there's always something I'm like, Oh, I don't know that yet. Or that's brand new to me. So I'm reeling because there's just so much to learn and I've done so much already. And it was a lot of stress and it was a lot of learning how to adapt to stress and like, okay, learning when stress is dangerous and actually when it's like a risk, but also being like, I've pushed myself to such a degree before and, um, we're going to get this done. You know, like, I don't care how it's going to get done, but we're going to get it done. And I only have a couple more weeks left in flight school, technically for my degree with Liberty. And then after that, it's up to me to finish probably three or four classes online. And after that, like I'm done, I'm graduate. <laughs> so That's awesome. I've been in, I've been at college for a long time, September, 2012. So it's so Eight weird years. to think that I'm ready to graduate for good. Um, yeah. And that's why your question of what's next is so it actually makes me real even more because it's like, well, now what? Now I've only known how to learn and be a student. Um, I think what's next is I'm going to take a break and I'm going to try to be a self-sufficient pilot. Somebody who just knows how to like rent an aircraft and go out with a friend and try to get some hours and get some practice and stay proficient and just try to try to like ease into that because the school life, the flight school life is so controlled for you. And I just want to feel a little bit more self-sufficient. And while I'm doing that, 
and school is done, I'm going to try to put together a plan for maybe flying for the Air National Guard. And Mm -hmm. that takes a lot. That takes a lot of tests, a lot of written tests, a lot of oral interviews, a lot of interfacing with different units and getting good questions together. And that's just, that's going to take a whole different part of my brain that I just can't, I can't have access to that part of my brain right now. So I'm going to wait till I'm done with school to try to go on this vision quest and be like, okay, let's get ready for this new chapter and and at least try. Cause I want to try, you know, I don't want to just sit there and and just have this idea that dies on the table, but it would be great to fly for the national guard. I I do like being in that reserve capacity. So we're going to, we're going to see about that. That's awesome. And for the record, I was asking out of curiosity, not to add to the pressure that you clearly feel, (laughs) but I, um, I really appreciate this conversation. One day when we open up Unbound Aviation, we'll know who to call. We'll get the Cessna. You'll fly it. We'll bring students to Apex. It's going to be great. Um, And uh, yeah, that would be fantastic. But this has been a fascinating interview. I think it's a really good place to close. And I just really appreciate you sharing your story and giving us a little bit of your time. And uh, I hope that students get the chance to talk to you about this more um, if they see you at an event soon. But um, as always, guys, you can email podcast at beunbound.us if you have questions, ideas, thoughts, or an idea for another student that I should interview. I think that would be super fun. You can go to beunbound.us slash Basecamp to learn more about the Basecamp event that's in January. Early bird registration is already open. So uh, go ahead and take advantage of that. You get a really cool piece of swag if you do register as an early bird. So you should check that out. And then, of course, go to beunbound.us slash refer if anybody you know would be the right fit for this program or for this community. And with that, we will catch you guys next time.